The Lord be with you. Brothers and sisters, we are wrapping up our four-week mini-series called The Art of Neighboring. We've done it uh, by God's providence during this time that we have been locked down in this pandemic. But by His grace, we are at this point where we have been released from our cages. We are starting to move out. And we've been moving as a state of Illinois into this next phase of our freedom. In God's timing, we are also wrapping up this series. As we've been walking through what is called the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked by a young man, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, listen, I will tell you what is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and all the prophets. So Jesus is saying, listen, I have one commandment for you, and it's wrapped up in these two commandments. So basically what Jesus is saying is that, listen, your wholehearted love that you have for God, loving with them with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, should find an expression of loving your neighbors as yourself. God, Jesus is saying, Loving God cannot be separated from your love of neighbors. If you truly love God, you are going to truly love your neighbors. So what I want to do this morning is I want to wrap up our, our sermon series with this fourth sermon with a bow by looking at one simple verse, and it's going to be in John chapter 14. So if you don't mind, turn to John chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at one single verse. Verse 12. So my friends, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And we are going to, before we read it together, we are going to ask for God's blessing as we read it and hear from him today. So would you pray with me? Father God, with our Bibles open before you, before us, we, we come to you asking for a special blessing. We need your help, Lord. Would the Spirit come and illumine these printed pages before us? And would our minds be alert and open to its truth? And would our lives also be quick to welcome this good news and obey it, actually obey it, and to live in light of it? Help us, Lord, in both the speaking and the listening to do so in such a way that honors and glorifies you, our living God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us this way from John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. So I don't know if you are like me at all, but when I go to a doctor's office, I often find myself just wanting to sit in the chair, pick up a magazine, read the book that I have, and just not be bothered by anybody. In fact, when I actually get into the doctor's office, into the, the examination room or the, a dentist's chair, 
I find myself just wanting it to get over. Not because it's painful, but just because I want to get in, I want to get out. Please just do your thing. Let me go on my way. But all too often, what happens? You find yourself in the dentist chair and they tell you, open wide. Ah, and then, then they uh, start putting different instruments in there, cleaning your teeth. And then they ask you questions. And I just want to say, I love you. Can we just get on with it? And some of you are right now going, who is this guy? Who is he? It, it feels awfully impersonal for you, oh pastor. What Should you not be the one striking up these gospel conversations with instruments in your mouth or before they give you a, a shot? What's wrong with you? And some of you are going, yeah, I totally get it. Do your thing and let's move on. And some of you are going, I think I understand Paul. He's a, he's a well-adjusted introvert and quite honestly, he wants to save his words for those deep and meaningful conversations. But it isn't always that case for me. Sometimes as I am sitting, for example, in my barber's chair at prime time uh, barbershop down in Frankfurt, I find myself sitting there waiting for that much needed therapeutic straight razor shave. As you can tell, I am in dire need of it. Sitting there, and it's in those times where I am often asked questions, deep and meaningful questions. Maybe they're cultural questions, maybe they're political questions, maybe they're personal questions, but ultimately every one of those questions are, have an undergirding, a, a theological question at the base of them all. Why do you believe what you believe? Or what really is the meaning and the purpose of this life? And I always feel like I need to be ready to give an answer, and a good answer. Because if I don't give a good answer, maybe ultimately what I need to do is hand in my resignation to the session and say, I flunked out. I bombed it. But it's often in times like these, in these daily, regular kind of conversations where I have the opportunity and you have the opportunity to share the love of God, to share the word of God with our neighbor, an opportunity to love them in rich and lavish and extravagant kinds of ways. And the truth is that God is always putting us into the lives of other people. He has placed us in our workplaces. He has placed us in our neighborhoods. He's placed us in the different places of our life for a purpose. God is wanting us to share the good news of Jesus Christ to all kinds of people in all kinds of circumstances, wherever he places us. And that is what we have been talking about over these past few weeks. And that is what John is talking about actually in John chapter 14, verse 12, in this very passage we just read. And where we pick up this uh, narrative, we, we can look back over John chapter 13 and 14 and see that a dialogue is going on. Ultimately, Jesus is telling his disciples that, hey, ultimately, I am going to be handed over to the authorities and I am going to be executed. And immediately, it's, it, 
He's sharing this end-of-life kind of discussion, and immediately his disciples start getting anxious. They start going, hold on a second. You are telling us that we have been following you for these past three years, and we are hoping that you were the promised Messiah, and you are going to be executed? You are going to leave us? And all of a sudden they go, he's serious. He is going to leave us. And they start freaking out a little bit and they begin to wonder, what does this mean for us? What what are we going to do after he leaves? Are we going to be forever marked as those crazy disciples who followed after this false Messiah, this, this one that we had put all of our hope in and now he is dead? What are we going to do? And Jesus, at the beginning of John chapter 14, he, he gives them a word of reassurance. He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He is saying, listen, I need you to trust me in this moment. I, I understand your anxieties. I understand your fears. I understand your doubts. But I need you to trust me. Everything that I have done, everything that I have said is true. Just trust me. So he begins to speak to them in verse 12 about what life in mission, apart from him being present with them physically, is going to be looking like. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So when Jesus says these words, he is marking out for the disciples what it looks like to be on mission. And not just for the disciples, he is marking out for you and for me what life on mission will look like. In these verses, it gives us really kind of three windows into life in mission. And the first window is this. It gives us a, a window into who, what is our identity. Then the second window is what ultimately is our purpose. And lastly, it gives us a window into this, this promise, a solid promise. So first, our identity. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. Listen, you and I live in a world where everybody has some kind of a belief about Jesus. Some will say that, man, he is just merely a good moral teacher. If we just follow these good moral teachings, the world is going to be a much happier, a, a more safe place for everybody. Somebody will say that, man, he was just merely a really good guy, really a good guy. Others will say that, man, I look at those miracles. He is some kind of ancient magician. Other people will say, no, he's just one of many different prophets. And some are going to say he is a political revolutionary. But when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, he's not just picking out some kind of generic belief. He's, he's not saying believe in me like a child might believe in Santa Claus. And he's not talking about having the right vertical intellectual kind of belief system about him. 
we know that it's entirely possible to have a right vertical belief system about Jesus, but actually not believe in him. Even in the, the book of James, James said that even the demons, even the demons believe. And what do they do? They, they shudder. So what Jesus is talking about here has to do with a greater, a more distinguished kind of belief than just the belief that these demons have or the belief that the world has about Jesus. So what Jesus is saying says about if you believe in me, what he's actually talking about is the kind of belief that ultimately transforms, that changes your identity. He's talking about believing in him in the right kind of way that changes the way that you see yourself and that ultimately it even changes the way that you see the world around you. Everything about you has changed. You are a new man. You are a new woman. You are a new creation in Christ. Everything about you has changed internally and externally and it changes the way that you see the world around you. Everything in your life now hangs on who he is as your God and what he has to say about you and about the world as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Everything now hangs on this. Listen, I am not a rock climber, much like uh, or uh, the kind of guy that loves to belay on and get, you know, get all the pulleys and the ropes, much like uh, Matt Preeby or Nathan Phillips. I am not that guy. I, I, I feel tingling in my feet as soon as I get close to the edge of height. When I get close to the edge of a cliff, I start feeling tingly, but I, I kind of get this. I've been in those circumstances when I have been all tied in and climbing up a, a, a wall, or I've been on a, an edge of a mountain, the Cliffs of Moher when we were in Ireland. I could feel it in my feet. And when we are kind of all roped in and tied in, we have to trust the rope. We have to trust the pulleys. We have to trust all those systems and mechanisms because if we do fall, we have to trust that this is going to catch us and save us. A harness and a rope have to hold me or it is all over. And that is something like what Jesus is saying here. Believe in me. Trust in in me. He is talking about the kind of belief where we put our entire weight, our entire well-being upon him. That's called resting upon Christ alone. That if he doesn't hold us, if he doesn't secure us, we surely will fail. It's not just, my friends, it's not just about believing the right facts about Christ, even though that is extremely important, but it is all about resting on what he has to say about him, what he has to say about me, who he is, who he is and what he has called us to be. I believe I believe in the word of God. I believe in his character. I believe in his death. I believe in his resurrection. And I am throwing everything upon him. This, my friends, believing this 
And living that kind of way changes everything. To believe in Jesus means that you ultimately give up your right to be the king. You trade in your your rights to rule and reign your life however you want to and allow and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. To believe in, in Jesus is to say, who you say I am is who I am. And some of you probably need to say that this morning. Who you say I am, Jesus, is who I am. And I believe, Jesus, that you shape me. I believe that you formed my identity, my calling, and my actions. This is the kind of belief that I believe that Jesus is talking about in our word this morning. So I have a question for you. Do you believe in Jesus? Is your identity found to be totally resting upon him alone? If your answer is yes to that question, and I sincerely hope that it is, that is going to mean something profound for your entire life, your private life and your public life. If you believe in Jesus, you are going to find meaning and how ultimately your life is going to be directed. And that is where Jesus moves on to next. He moves from speaking about your identity of believing in him and entrusting yourself to, to him fully to what is your purpose? What is our purpose as believers? Look at what he has to say next. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What Jesus just said here is that belief in him will be revealed by obedience to him. Hear that. Believe in Jesus. Belief in Jesus will reveal itself by obedience to Jesus. The genuine mark of faith is spending your life doing what Jesus did. So I don't know what you're hearing, uh, hearing and I don't know how you might be reading this, but this honestly is massively convicting for me. This reveals all kinds of inconsistencies in my personal life. I believe in you, Jesus, but will I also be doing the things that you did? I, have all, I can give you a list of all the different inconsistencies going on in my life. So, so what Jesus just said here is that the mark of genuine saving faith, the defining mark is that you will do what he did. Don't, don't hear this as salvation by works because we are all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is how we are truly saved. But what he is saying here is that genuine faith in Christ will be seen through a life that is being conformed by Christ. We will look and act more and more and more and more like our Lord and Savior. So now we have to ask the question, if believing in Jesus means doing the work that he did, then what are these works that we are supposed to be doing? How can, how can I sum up the life of Jesus so that I can do this? 
Well, my friends, I think that it's quite easy. We could go all the way back to Mark chapter 1. Go back and play that very first sermon that, that uh, I gave in this series. Here's how we can sum up the life of Jesus. And it might be way too simplistic, but I think it is extremely helpful. We can sum up the life of Jesus in really two simple things. Jesus loved God wholeheartedly. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength. But he also, that was the first thing. The second thing is that he loved his neighbor. It sounds like what we've been talking about right here, right? Now, you have to hear this because this might change the way some of you think about your life. Think about this. You were saved, my friends, for these works. The whole reason that you have faith in Christ, now that you have been saved, is now to do these works. You have been set free from your sins. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. And some of you, he is still setting you free. He's releasing you from the bondage of sin, of Satan. He has given you grace and has lavished love upon you. You have been given, my friends, the Holy Spirit living inside of you for a purpose. To love God and to love people and to bring them to God, much like Jesus did. Listen, he did not just save you from your sins. Some of us, that's how we look at our Christian life. I've got fire insurance. Man, I have been saved from my sins, saved from the wrath of God, and I'm good. I can do now whatever I want to. But my friends, he also rescued you to a whole new life. He didn't just save you. It is also being saved to you. Uh, he, sorry, it's being saved to something. He's bringing you forward in this life. You weren't just saved so that you can go to heaven. You were saved so that you might know the joy of knowing God and being loved by God and being, having grace lavished and love lavished upon you. But also you were saved so that you might be joining God in his purposes of redeeming and saving people to spread his fame throughout the world. This is one of the reasons, the massive reasons, why you have been saved. And this changes stuff. This changes the reason why you go to school. For those of you who are in high school or in college, listen, you're not just going to high school or college to get some kind of certificate or degree or to have a good time. Yes, absolutely. Those two things will happen. You will have a degree and you will have a good time. But it is more than that, my friends. You, When you start believing that God has you in that school for a purpose, pursuing a degree, you ultimately understand it is to serve his purposes. And this changes the way, the, the way that we look at work, right? It's not just about a paycheck and upward uh, mobility. You are there in your workplace, in your company, for the purposes of God in your life. And, the, and that purpose is to spread the good news of our risen Lord to whomever we come in contact with. 
This changes the way that we look at our neighborhoods, the way that we look at our marriages, our kids, our hobbies, our, our friends. All those things are good gifts from God for your enjoyment, but that wasn't given to you ultimately as an end. Ultimately, all of these good gifts that God has given to you should be considered as a gateway, if you will, a gateway to call your attention upward and outward. Upward and outward. Everything given to you by God should call you upward in worship. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. God, thank you. I am worshiping for you, worshiping you. But ultimately, it should also lead you to an outward focus of loving your neighbors. For those of you who hear this, for those of you who are willing to receive this teaching from Jesus, there is incredible power in it for you. There's a tremendous amount of power here because of what is going on here is that there is a purpose coming from Jesus that is immovable and it is absolutely unshakable. No matter what comes, my friends, you know where God has called you to be and what he has called you to be about. This, this can, since God has purposed it, this can, it, it, it can move you through, sustain you through a thousand joys and a thousand sorrows, knowing that God has purposed this. So whatever comes into your life, whatever may pass through the sovereign hands of God into your life, knowing that God is doing a million different things in your life and you only get a smidge of knowing what he is up to, it is impossible to know everything. But you can know this one thing, that he is calling you, he is calling me to love him wholeheartedly, and he is calling us to love our neighbors wholeheartedly. This is always going to be true. And we got a great example from the Bible if we look at the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was known as probably one of the greatest missionaries ever to walk this face of the earth. He had a deep sense of God's purpose in his life to carry forward the good works of Jesus, the good news of Jesus to everyone that he came in contact with. It made him fearless in the face of persecutors and fearless in the face of sufferings. Paul was absolutely considered a nightmare for those who wanted to kill him for the preaching of Jesus Christ because they couldn't seem to win. This man was unshakable. So in a prison cell, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the book to the church in Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he said this, and this, this had to just tick off his persecutors. He said, listen, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This had to just absolutely frustrate him because Paul was basically saying, listen, for me to live and to be persecuted, man, it's just an opportunity for me to love my Lord, my God, and to love my neighbor. I love this. This is a great opportunity. But if you're going to kill me, it's gain. I love it. That's fine. Go for it. So he saw that as, as long as there was 
any kind of air in his lungs, any kind of life in his, in his body, he had a fixed purpose. As long as there was anything alive in him, he can love his God and point people to his Savior. So believing in Jesus will be revealed in your obedience to Jesus. So hear me as I am wrapping up this, this point about your purpose in this life. Loving your neighbor is not an optional category for the Christian life. To believe him is to do what he did, which was to love people and ultimately loving them enough to pour, bring them to God. But there's just one more thing that I want to point out in this passage. It's not just about our identity, and it's not just about our, our purpose as, as followers of Jesus Christ, but he also gives a promise here. I don't know how much history you have in, in reading the Bible, but just a common reading ought to give you a, a moment's pause to ask this question. Jesus said, we will do greater things than he did. What in the world does that mean? Because immediately, if you know much about Jesus, you know that he has done a lot of tremendous things. This Jesus healed people. He fed people. He walked on water. He spat on dirt and made a little bit of mud paste, put it on the eyes of a blind guy. And this guy came, was able to see. He made people see again. And he did all kinds of what ab we would consider abnormal, superhuman, supernatural kind of things. And are we going to do things greater than that? Is Jesus saying that if we truly believe in him, that we will do things like he did? Multiply it by 10. And if we don't really believe in him, we are going to be unable to do the things that he did? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here at all. In fact, I don't think that Jesus even had in miracles in mind at all. He was giving you and me a promise that you and me will actually be effective in the life in mission that he is calling us to be a part of. We will actually be effective in loving God and effective in bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what are these these, these greater works that he's talking about. When Jesus is saying that he was about to head off to the cross, he was saying, listen, I am on my way to accomplish the salvation of the world. So what he is saying was that something is about to happen through my death and through my resurrection and through my ascension. And I, and this is what's going to happen. I am going to be sending you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the presence of God living inside of you. Skip down, if you will, if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 14. And let's, let's look at what this, this kind of promise is in verses 16 and 17. Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you, what? Another helper to be with you, for how long? 
forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and be, will be in you, inside of you. So the Holy Spirit dwells with you and within you. Friends, this is huge because for the first time in all biblical history, this has never happened before, that the Holy Spirit is living within, residing within believers. So, so Jesus is saying, listen, I am going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only is it going to be this external thing, it is going to be an internal dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says that we are going to do greater works, what he is calling us to do with these great, how is he going to have us do this? Man, it is going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. These acts of love are going to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Your acts of love and you're speaking to those who are outside of the faith about faith in Christ are going to be done with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Your demonstration of the kingdom of God and your declaration of the kingdom, these works or whatever Jesus has come to accomplish in this world are going to be done through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And John chapter 20 tells us, listen, the point of everything that happens, even the miracles of Jesus were ultimately for pointing men and women and children to him. Listen to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, everything, everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that Jesus did is about pointing people to Jesus. So the reason that our acts of love and our declaration of him are a part of what we came to accomplish is because our declaration is to be pointing people to him. Our acts of love are to be pointing people to him. The reason, the reason that we can have hope when we pray that God would change our city, that God would change our neighbors, is because tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, think about this, tomorrow morning, a hundred some people from our church who are now gathered in living rooms are going to be scattered. Scattered around the Lincoln Way area, around the Chicagoland area. And that is just from our church alone. My friends, we go with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is that you are going filled with the Holy Spirit to share the saving message of this crucified and risen Son of God. So literally, everywhere that you go, everywhere that you go, the Holy Spirit, if you are available to Him, is scattering Himself all over the area for the kingdom of God. Friends, this, this is an amazing thing if we think about it. And we know, friends, that there are all kinds of people around us who don't know God, right? All around us. Friends, neighbors, co-workers, 
family members who do not know God, but among all of these unbelieving friends and neighbors and co-workers, listen, God has already purposed to save some of them from the foundations of the earth. There are people around you who Jesus has purchased with his own blood and they just don't know it yet. And their salvation is, is sure. Their salvation is secure and locked in and it is going to happen, but they just don't know it yet. And God is about to blow up their life and they don't know it. So how do you how how can I even say this? Well, John chapter 10, verse 16 says this, and it's some crazy stuff. He says, And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. In other words, they're not with us yet, but they are sheep. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So what Jesus just said is that, listen, I have people who have been given to me by the Father to be saved, but they do not know it yet. And Jesus is saying that I am going to get them. I am going to save them. But here's the thing. How is Jesus going to get them? And how is Jesus going to save them? My friends, you're looking at them. Look right, right around your room right now. It is you and it is me. That is how Jesus is choosing to work to bring his good news of salvation to these lost men, women, and children. It is through you and me. So right now, it's going to be awkward, but I want you to look around the room. Look at your brothers. Look at your sisters. Point at them and just said, Jesus is going to work through you. Say it. Go ahead. Jesus is going to work through you. One more time. Somebody else. Jesus is going to work through you. Listen, believers. This is what you were saved for. I know some of you are thinking this. Hey, Paul, there is no way. I do not know enough. Uh, listen, I'm not even good enough. My life is a total mess and shamble. If you'd really get in under the hood, I'm a total mess. I, listen, I'm just lucky to get in. Listen, every one of you, every one of you this morning, God did not save you by accident. God knew exactly who he was saving when he was saving you. God knew exactly what kind of grace he, he would need to lavish upon you, what kind of love he would put upon, need to put upon you. And that's what Ephesians 1 has to say. Listen to this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. In other words, he knew in all insight, making known to us the, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ. Listen, God knew exactly what he was getting into when he saved you. He knew exactly what it was going to take to save you. He knew exactly what kind of renovation project you are when he saved you. 
He knew exactly what kind of sins would need to be covered. God is not surprised by you. He knew what he was getting into. And he is saying, listen, I want these people that I have saved, I want them to be for me missionaries, evangelists, every one of them. I want them to proclaim the greatness of my name because I have saved them. My friends, no one is saved by accident. My question, though, my friends, is how long, church? How long until we believe Jesus and his word right here? How long? How long until we take him at his word and just say, okay, Jesus, I am in. How long are we going to pass our obedience onto somebody else or some other committee or the whole church as a, as, as a whole? How long are we going to pass over obedience just because you don't know enough or because you're scared? My friends, I have had numerous people in my life and in our church just come to me and confess all kinds of struggles, all kinds of sin issues, all kinds of junk in their life. But I have yet, I have yet to encounter one person who comes up to me and just with that same kind of brokenness confess to me their serial refusal or negligence to care and share about the love of Christ to those who are apart from him. I've yet to hear one person confess that they are wrecked, that they are wrecked by the horror of the fact that they on purpose for a long, long time with no thought about it have just disregarded or rejected the command of God, the command of God to speak about and to love people in the name of Jesus. No one has confessed that to me. We are often often have this view that sharing the good news of Christ, loving our neighbor as ourself, is just another option on the buffet line of discipleship. But whosoever believes in me, Jesus says, will do greater works than me. Listen, friends, I'm not putting this out there as a guilt trip. Because, man, I am in the same boat as you. Just thinking about this kind of stuff, I, I think about the people that I love at Starbucks. I think about the people that I, I see in my life in the neighborhood around us here at 360 South Park Street. I think about all kinds of different people. I am in the same boat because I have been unfaithful and I have ultimately been unloving towards those people. I tell, tell myself, man, Paul, there are... There are all kinds of reasons why I'm not ready for that conversation yet. I am in the same boat with you. Yet the call is super clear this morning. We have been saved to love God and to bring people to him. We have been given the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of us and the saving message of Jesus to demonstrate and to declare to all whom God has given to us. Some of them are your classmates. 
some of them are your roommates, some of them are your coworkers, your family members, your friends, baristas, the list goes on and on and on. But Jesus tells us that he is building his church. And the gates of hell will never prevail. So may that give you hope, my friends, as you leave this worship service. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the work, works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. My friends, let's individually, as families, as missional communities, as men, women, and children's ministries, and as a church, let's get after this. Let's get at it. Let's start moving more faithfully, more boldly towards obedience. And let's do it today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to speak to us, to speak to us plainly this morning. And Jesus, you have defined and directed our lives. So I want to say thank you for the life of each brother and sister who is listening this morning. The fact that you have saved them is not by accident. You have purposed your love on them. You have placed your compassion on them. You have planned and predestined them for your own name and your own glory so that they may be a mouthpiece, a a megaphone for the glory of Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would rise up, that we would rise up by the power of the Holy Spirit and create, you would create a movement of missionaries within our church. Would you place upon us a burden, a burden to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to our city, to our neighbors, to our family members, to our coworkers, to our fellow students and Father, I pray that you would bother us. Bother us by your grace. Bother us by your grace for our disobedience and our apathy. And ultimately, really really about our lack of care for these people. Make us bold, Lord, in our confession of Jesus. That we would even more boldly believe in you and that our lives would be more beautifully marked out by you. Lord, may we bear fruit. So, Father, would your kingdom come, and would your will be done here in the Lincoln Way area and beyond, as it is already in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, continue worshiping together. Dive into discussion time together. Hold each other accountable in growing in your evangelistic faith. You have been saved for a purpose. Now go and be great neighbors. Would you receive the Lord's blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. The Lord be with you and also with you. Now go in peace.